Who are they? How did they get here? And where are they now? I'm Tyson Chastain, Director of Alumni Relations with Johnson University, and this is the Sojourner Podcast. The Sojourner Podcast is a production of the Alumni Relations Office at Johnson University and is brought to you by the Alumni Association. Whether you graduated from Central Florida Bible College, Johnson Bible College, Florida Christian College, or Johnson University, you are a part of the alumni family. Join the Alumni Association and help encourage and equip alumni and students as they pursue kingdom-focused vocations. Learn more at johnsonu.edu forward slash alumni. Today, we're joined in the Sojourner podcast by 2004 Johnson University, Tennessee graduate, Michael Ruth Penwell. Michael Ruth, welcome to the Sojourner podcast. Thank you, Tyson. I'm very excited to be here. Thank you so much for giving us your time today. To get started, would you mind giving a general introduction of yourself to our podcast listeners who may not know who Michael Ruth is? Sure. Um, I am currently living in Asheville. I was a missionary in Thailand for quite a long time, over uh, eight and a half years. Um, but I'm back in the States now, and I'm working as a children's minister and a local artist. Cool. Asheville is a neat city. Well, what made it's you settle really there? Actually, um, if any of you are other 2004 graduates, you might know Brian Chadwick. He kind of roped me in. Was not <laughs> interested. <laughs> I was not interested in being a children's minister. Didn't want to have anything to do with that. And he actually met me. Um, when I was living in Knoxville and said, hey, come recruit for our children's ministry position. Just stand at the booth with me and we're going to try and get a, you know, an intern over here. And so I was like, sure. So here I am at this Johnson function talking to all these prospective, you know, interns. I'm like, this is going to be an awesome opportunity. You get to work with this guy. You get to be in Asheville. Right. <laughs> I, I talked about a church I've never been to before. I'm like, oh, it's a great church. You're going to love it there. And by the end of the day, I had talked myself into a job. So that's, <laughs> that's how great. I got here. <laughs> we'll talk about that more a little bit later in the podcast, but that's uh, that's a great start. I love it. Chadwick's right there next to you. Okay. Yes. <laughs> so tell me about your childhood, Michael Ruth. Where were you raised? Um, were you raised in a Christian home, that kind of thing? I absolutely was. I was raised in a Christian home. Both my parents are Johnson alum, and they met at Johnson. So I grew up um, in Michigan, and even though that's a long way from Tennessee, um, Tennessee was always kind of in my heart. And I loved, I loved Johnson just before I'd even seen it. And when I was actually nine years old, my dad went to get his master's um, at Johnson, and we lived on campus. And I lived on Old Orchard Court. I went, I, I shared a duplex with Ben and Dane Lakin, if you guys know them. Um, so we were right across the, you know, the wall from each other. And I have lots of really good memories. Erin Gommel was also there with me, if you know her. Yeah, so as a, a campus kid, I remember running around campus, which was pretty fun. And the thing that was most frightening to me was going to the marble hallway in shorts. I have heard <laughs> like you were not allowed to do this. And one day it was really, really hot. And we wanted to stop at the water fountain and get a drink. But I was like, I'm in shorts. <laughs> I went to the marble hallway and get a drink. I was terrified. And as I'm drinking from the water fountain, Ashley and Emma's portraits were there on the wall and they were just scowling at me. Um, so yeah, that's one of my early, earliest memories. Um, <laughs> so from that time on, I've just always been a Johnson fan. <laughs> That's great. So. <laughs> oh my. Um, okay. So your parents' names are? Randy and Stephanie Penwell. Randy um, and Stephanie Penwell. Yeah, my mom's maiden name was Carter. So yeah. Okay. And you had other relatives come through here, oh, have you not? Yeah. My brother, um, came there. He came a little bit after me, actually met um, my sister-in-law, Memory Beckham, who some of you also might know, um, but he came down there to see me and she had wanted me to marry one of her brothers, who some of them, Jeff Beckham, Jay Beckham, um, they they were also Johnson people, but she wanted me to marry one of her brothers, right? And I said, absolutely not. So then my brother comes down to Johnson and she says, okay, change of plan. <laughs> 
I'm going to marry your brother. And then we're still going to be sisters. So yes, we are sisters. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I've had uncles and aunts and cousins, my little sister, um, Hadassah also went there. So yeah, we're, we're a big Johnson family. (laughs) That's so cool. I love it. So you were (laughs) raised in Michigan. What part of Michigan? Mostly Farwell, but I was born in Battle Creek. Um, so a little bit of everywhere in Michigan, really loved it up there. It's a very different, slower kind of culture, but really still welcoming and friendly. I came to Christ when I was nine years old. I was baptized, but I think I grew up always knowing how to say John 3.16. Like I really don't remember mm-hmm. ever learning that verse. And so I guess I've always had a love relationship with him. But it was when I was nine years old that I made a formal commitment. And when I was 13 years old, I told my mom, I'm going to be a missionary. And she was like, oh, okay. (laughs) And I don't know, maybe they thought I would grow out of it because parents, even Christian parents, are not always excited when their kid tells them they're going to be a missionary. You know, like they're proud and yet there's still part of them that, you know, knows they're going to be crying into the bed sheets when their child's on the other side of the world, right? So that was hard for them. But they also, they knew I was my own person. I always made my own decisions and I didn't really ask for permission. I was just like, this is what God wants me to do. So I, I did it. Wow. So, okay. So nine years old was when you came to Tennessee as well. That's when your dad went to do graduate work. Yeah. was 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 that decision that you made before or after? It was a little bit after that, but I think. I think just like having a family that was willing to move Mm -hmm. so far away was a part of that. Like this encompassed my whole life, right? Christianity was not just something that we did on Sundays. It's not just that my dad was a preacher and it was his job. Like it was, we were saturated in a Christian lifestyle and that, that made it possible for me to go to the other side of the world. Like it didn't seem weird or abnormal that I would change everything to follow what God was calling me to, you know? Can you identify a time in your young life where you really latched onto faith as your own faith and not just, I was raised in the church? I think, like I said, when I made that decision, I don't really feel like it was a decision I made for my family, especially when I made the decision to be a missionary. That was something I really felt like God was speaking directly to me um, Mm. about. And when I look back and I read like my little kid journals, they're super cute. And I see so much faith that was, was absolutely genuine. I didn't know how to write very well at that time. And sometimes I read it and I'm just like, oh my goodness. But, but there was absolute genuine faith at that point. And I don't, I don't ever remember there being a transition from this is my parents' faith. to This is my faith. I think I've just, it's always been my own. Interesting. Um, yeah. Well, that's cool. So what do you think inspired this young passion of yours to pursue missions? It was a lot. The fact that we had a lot of missionaries in our home, they would come to our church and we get to talk with them. I read a lot of missionary books and biographies and things like that. I think being at Johnson and like being around people who were going to be missionaries was a big thing for me. And I always kind of had an adventurous spirit. Like there was never a need for me to like be at home or in one spot. So the idea of going somewhere foreign was really exciting to me. Um, and so I think God just used that passion plus my flexible personality. And I, I wonder sometimes, was I designed to be a missionary or was I a missionary because of my personality? I don't know. Anyway, it's, it's cool to see how God just led me along that path. And even being here in Asheville, I totally still think I'm on the mission field 100%. Yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, yeah, Asheville's an eclectic community. I think it would present a, a number of unique opportunities to be a, a missionary right there in that city. Absolutely. Um, when I go to the park, I'm constantly hearing foreign languages. Um, we have a Thai restaurant and a gas station. As soon as I saw that it was in a gas station, I was like, bet you there are Thai people inside that <laughs> restaurant. <laughs> and so I walked in and I said, Ben and they were like, oh, immediately yeah it was great so I mean there's always opportunities I think for us to reach out cross-culturally but also across subculturally as well because you know even though people have been raised in America 
doesn't mean their worldview is the same as mine. Mm. And I think we have to learn to adapt to those kind of connections, right? Mm. Like, mm-hmm. how do I how do I speak to somebody who grew up in a non-Christian home or who grew up in a Christian home, but it wasn't of genuine faith? Mm. And so learning how to speak to those people, that's the mission field just as much as going to Thailand. Mm-hmm. You know, I, it's take. It took me a long time to latch on to how much the United States is just as much as a, of a mission field as anywhere else that we might mm-hmm. go. One of the things that you just said there was uh, this idea of worldview. You know, mm-hmm. I really didn't. I didn't latch on to worldview as a concept worthy of understanding until after I'd, after I had already returned from Honduras. So, a worldview really is. Uh, an important concept to grasp for all of us, especially Christians. Absolutely. And understanding understanding how difficult it is for someone to change their worldview, including myself, when my own worldview is mixed up or wrong or selfish. I think that is really important. It gives us, it gives us grace for each other. Coming to understand that when I was in Thailand, where people switching a worldview to, to accept the idea of grace was difficult mm. because grace was not was not a good gift in some of their eyes right you worked hard for something and if you did something bad you got punished for something bad if you did something good you got rewarded for something good and so the concept of grace just was hard for them and i was like how can you not love grace everybody loves grace but that's because of the worldview in the home that i grew up in right right and so learning how to help them see the beauty of grace was a difficult thing. Mm. Okay. So second half of your uh, youth then from the time that you really made Christ a part of your life and missions, a focus, Mm -hmm. what was your teenage years like? What did you do to foster that interest? (laughs) Um, What kind of things were you involved in? I did a lot of acting and that was fun. I did um, acting in the local theater. I was homeschooled, and yet our local high school was actually really open to having homeschoolers come in and join in <clears throat> extracurricular programs. Oh, nice. And I was actually able to take high school art classes with the most amazing art teacher in the whole world. Her name was Judy Thurston. And when she first met me, she was like oh, a homeschooler, and she had this idea that I was going to be backwards and awkward and didn't know how to communicate. And then I walked into her class and was the most polite and respectful and intelligent young woman she'd ever met. (laughs) Oh, okay. (laughs) And um, she's still one of my favorite people to hang out with today. Mm. Whenever I go up to Michigan, we always sit on her porch and we drink tea and talk about our art, talk about our lives. She was a huge supporter of me when I was on the mission field and still continues to support my art. But because of her, I was able to really take the creative bent that I had and gain the skills and the possibility, right? I learned how to take all that was there, the raw potential, and turn it into actual painting and actual drawing. And I am so grateful to her because she really... She really helped set a foundation for what I was able to do later on. So, wow. Yeah. Theater, art, music. My family was like the Von Trapp family. You know, <laughs> all of us sang. We had our special songs. We would go to like Fifth Sunday Singspirations at the, you know, church in the next county. And yeah, they would request their favorites. They're like, soon Jesus is coming soon. <laughs> Start up, Jesus is coming soon. So, yeah, we're a big theatrical sort of family. We love, being on stage, presenting, and um, yeah, sharing the story <laughs> in creative ways. <laughs> Sounds like so much fun. Sounds like you had a great family growing yeah. up there. Okay, so having such a passion for, you know, art and theater and those things, of course, missions as well. Why choose Johnson? I mean, aside from, I guess, the family connection and, yeah. and your history with the school had to play a huge role. But was Absolutely. was there anything else that led you to Johnson more than... Great Lakes. Um, Yeah, I mean, I think also the fact that Johnson is just a really great school. Like, I love the location, and I've been to several other Bible colleges. Obviously, because I wanted to be a missionary, a Bible college was going to be the place that I was going to stick. And I started looking around, and I just, I love the area. I love the facilities. I mean, 
2,000 students were the first ones who got to live in those new dorms, which are not new anymore. But when they first went up, it was massive and impressive and just really cool. By the way, I have stayed in every dorm that is on Johnson's campus, even, oh, except the old Brown Hall, right? (laughs) Was the only one that I didn't get a chance to sleep in, but I've been in, I've even been in the new Brown Hall because I was on travel teams and we spent a couple of weeks there in the summer. So yeah, like Myrtle Hall, when it was still, you know, a dorm, Uh I've been in them all. So have you been um, in Clark Hall? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and you've been actually, on Old Orchard Court? Uh, you know, I've been on Old Orchard Court. I've been, yeah, I've, I know, I know the Johnson dorm. <laughs> and so anyway, when those new dorms went up, that was a big deal. They were so big and beautiful and just the facilities and getting to know some of the professors was an important thing for me too, because I knew that would be key to my time at Johnson, right? Not just my peers, but also the people that I was learning from, mentors. Mm. So your commitment to missions never wavered throughout your high school years and and your growing passion for art. Absolutely not. I mean, (laughs) I, I wouldn't date anybody who wasn't even interested in like missions. Like if they didn't have a thought that that was something they could do, I'd be like, not going to work out. (laughs) And in fact, I didn't date all through high school. I made the commitment that I was like, not going to do that. Just thought that was, you know, silly. Maybe it was, maybe it wasn't, but I was not going to be sidetracked. And then when I got to Johnson, I just kept that ball rolling. And yeah, I might've had kind of a prudish uh, (laughs) for like shutting guys down. As soon as they looked at me, like, are you interested in living in the middle of the jungle? Didn't think so. (laughs) Yeah, So (laughs) it actually helped a lot because it it just kept me focused on what I wanted to do. So (laughs) (laughs) that's great. Okay, so you did choose Johnson ultimately, and since you are an 04 graduate, you came down in 2000, mm-hmm. first class to live in the new dorms. What do you remember about your Johnson experience academically, mm-hmm. spiritually, and socially? What are some of the highlights that jump out at you? I think one of the things that I remember most is just the saturation of spiritual transformation, right? You are in a place some people call it the Johnson bubble and they would say that in such a negative way. And I didn't like that because I was like, that's not what this is. This is a time that is protected to help you gain a good foundation. Mm. And it's protected for a reason. It's so that way you learn how to have that kind of spiritual foundation that you're going to need when you go out into a place where you don't have the support and the spiritual foundation, even in churches, like I am, not surprised because I grew up in a preacher's home, but so many people in the church don't realize how hard it is for pastors. Like they feel isolated. They feel constantly spiritually attacked and they don't feel like they have that kind of community and support. And you would think they're in a church. They should have that kind of comfort. And so many um, pastors, preachers don't feel that. And so at Johnson, to have that kind of foundation to learn how to to create that kind of community is absolutely necessary. And so I remember prayer walks all over campus, personally, myself, but then also like you could be walking down the sidewalk and you would run into somebody and they would just look at you and they would just know something wasn't right. And they would say, hey, can I pray for you? And I have so many vivid memories of stopping on the sidewalk and just praying with people and like just being surrounded by people who cared about you. And that was peers, but that was also, like I said, uh, the professors and the administration and just that constant support of a Christian community was absolutely invaluable. Hmm. You know, you mentioned the Johnson bubble concept and that made me think that I I never liked that term either because I felt like you know, Johnson is what the Christian community is supposed to be about. Such Absolutely. a nurturing, caring, loving uh, example of the church. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's like that, this, this is what we want in the world. So it's, it's not that we are isolating ourselves from the world, but rather we are saying, this is what, you know, we're striving to help the world become. Right. We become the paragon. This is the, the ideal, as you said, right. and other people and ourselves even should be looking back to that and saying, why did that work in that context? And how can I create that context here where I am in Asheville? Right. right, 
Right. Yeah. Okay. So that, that's good. The spiritual uh, connections, the prayer walks and, and those kinds of things. What do you remember about some of your faculty members and classes uh, who, who, who jumps out at you? What have they taught you that you, that you oh. still hold on to? Well, <clears throat> I can't mention Johnson without mentioning Ron Wheeler. He was definitely a special um, professor for me, partly because of my creativity and my love for writing. Yes, that and, makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> and I think, you know, he, he was really good about taking certain students who had that creative um, mindset and kind of pulling them under his wing. And I remember he introduced me to the book, The Artist's Way. And actually kind of walked through that book with me. And that's a book that I've used mentoring lots of people, artists as well, um, as small groups in Thailand and here in America as well. <laughs> I think sitting in his class, he had a, a, a small group, usually four or five people, um, creative writing class. And we would just sit in his office and learning how to evaluate yourself, right? Not just be graded by other people, but learn how to, to evaluate yourself was a really, really important thing. Um, so I learned how to be a good writer from him. Um, I learned how to take those, again, natural skills like I had as a writer, and he helped them to become what they could be. And I've grown so much since then, but I, I definitely think he gave me a great foundation. Um, so definitely Ron Wheeler. And then uh, Jody Owens was also a huge influence because Again, I was his first class. He was learning how to be a professor when we came in. And his spiritual formations class, we were his guinea pig class. And he he didn't know what he was doing. He was just kind of fumbling through. But I thought he did such an excellent job because he was so genuine. And you could see that he really cared about our spiritual development and continues to care about our spiritual development. Like he still reaches out to me. I'm still connected to him. And so the fact that I could go on campus right now and find people that still care about me as a person is incredibly important. So, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Two great names. And The <laughs> Artist's Way, that book, that's, uh, I'll have to check that out. Just to absolutely. See. It is a fantastic read. It's definitely, and again, coming back to that concept of worldview, it's not necessarily a Christian worldview that she comes from. She does come from a the belief that there is a God, but it's not necessarily the same kind of background that I come from. And yet understanding that I can find common ground with people who have a different worldview and then use that as a talking point to discuss our faith and our beliefs is super important. And so I'm able to use that not just as a way to help artists, but as a way to help people understand that there might be something out there that's they haven't considered before. Right. What are some of the ways that you expressed your artistic side while you were a student? So I was probably most well known for the fact that I did skits. And if somebody needed an actress in a skit or an act like an extra or something for their project for their media thing or whatever, they would come to me and ask me to do something. I remember there was one skit that I did and I had forgotten that I was supposed to be doing it at chapel the next day. And so I, I ran to one of my good buddies rooms, Naomi, and I said, help me. I've got to come up with a skit. And the skit was basically me trying to come up with a skit. So it looked like I didn't know what I was doing, but I had sort of planned it out in my head. And yeah, anyway, I remember doing lots and lots of skits and lots of drama. Um, and then I actually did lead a an artist's small group on Friday mornings. And that was really fun because that came, became kind of the forerunner of what I would end up doing later. So cool. Yeah. Did you get involved in any of the plays at the time? Yeah, I actually um, directed a couple of plays. You're a Good Man, Charlie Brown was a super fun one that I did. And also, um, and then they came for me, which was a little bit deeper. It was about the Holocaust and it kind of mixed um, multimedia. Um, with stories from survivors of the Holocaust. And so that was a really cool experience. So what was your program? Was your program of study missions? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Just curious. I didn't know if media communications <laughs> played a role. Yeah, in that. I actually did think about media communications and, you know, there's times I'm like, yeah, probably could have gone that route, but you know, I don't know. ESL could have also been a thing I did. Teacher's ed, people are always confusing me with the teacher ed people. <laughs> I just kind of naturally make bulletin boards without even thinking about it, but <laughs> I don't have to be graded. I just do it. Yeah. <laughs> that is, it's just so interesting that you, 
grew up with a passion for missions and this artistic side. And now you find yourself in children's ministry. (laughs) Well, and I'll tell you what, it actually works out really well because one of the things that I stress with my kids is that they need to use the talents and gifts that God's given them to bless the kingdom. And so I say, you see my talents all over. I paint murals on the walls. I, I just turned one of our extra classrooms into an underwater sea place. So we're talking about exploring the depths of God's love. And so they go deep sea diving, but find their memory verse. And I mean, they love it. It's super fun. I say, and I do this because this is who God created me to be. You don't have to do that. You might like driving, you know, we got um, Sam, one of Chadwick's kids, he loves driving and he loves his bikes and he loves, and I'm like, and God can use that passion too. So helping them understand that their passion is what God is going to use not only to bless them, but also to bless the world um, is important. So me using my passion becomes the example for them to use theirs. (laughs) That's really cool. Okay. So you come to the end of your Johnson journey. How did you discern your next step? Well, I obviously knew I wanted to go on the mission field somewhere. I didn't really know where I wanted to go. I was open to anything kind of in my mind had the idea that I would be going to like the middle of Africa, you know, tribal, living in a mud hut kind of thing. That was sort of my vision of missions, but I wasn't necessarily committed to that. I needed to do an internship my junior year, and I wanted to go to Turkey. But this was right after 9-11 had happened, and so it was not going to be a good idea. I talked to four different missions agencies and individuals working there. I was like, can I come and work with you this summer? And they all were like, no, 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 no. And they just kept shutting me down and were like, it's not you. It's just the time. It's not good. So I I think it was maybe February. And I'm like, I have got to get an internship lined up because if I don't get this internship this summer, I'm not going to be able to graduate. So I reach out to all the missions organizations and I say, where can you send me? I will go anywhere. And CMF, Christian Missionary Fellowship in Indianapolis, they got back with me and said, we got something in Ukraine. And I was like, all right, I'll go to Ukraine. Went to Ukraine, loved it there. And actually, this has been an interesting time for me because I've been thinking a lot about um, what's happening there and my time when I was in Ukraine. And yeah, so loved Ukraine, but the missionaries there said, we like you a lot, but here's the deal. As a single woman, you might not have the freedom that you really want in this culture. Mm. And so they said, just take that into consideration when you're thinking about where you want to go. However, we've been watching your personality and we have friends who are working in Thailand. They work with campus ministry in Bangkok and we think you would be a perfect fit. And they're looking for teammates. And I was like, all right, I'll check it out. So I take my dad. We go there for a week and I fell in love. It was like, this is exactly where I was supposed to be. Had never considered doing campus ministry, had never thought about a big city, had never thought about Southeast Asia. And as soon as I got off the plane and just spent that time there, I was like, this is it. God needed me to do like Africa to Middle East to, you know, Eastern Europe to finally get me here. And so just trusting that he had it all worked out and that he knew better than I did what was going to be perfect for me. So yeah, that's how I ended up in Thailand. So you learned about that on an internship in your in your junior year in Ukraine. Yes, exactly. <laughs> okay. And so yeah. throughout your senior year, you made the arrangements to make. Yeah, that's that when move. I started connecting with CMF and began the process, the long process of trying to find supporters and gathering all the things that I would need to, to begin working in Thailand. So how long was it between graduation and touchdown in Thailand? Two years. Two years. And I was, I was shocked. I totally thought that with my charming personality and all of my church connections, I would have that support raised in no time. And once again, God's timing was perfect. He knew just when I needed to get there and the lessons that I'd have to learn in the next couple of years mm. that I, I really needed before I actually got to Thailand. And I don't know exactly how things would have been different if I had gone straight from Johnson to the mission field, but I think, I think my life would look very different. Mm -hmm. Um, 
So just, just little things as far as like the people that I would have been working with on the field and the students I would have connected with. And the fact I ended up becoming the team leader after my team leader left. And had I not been delayed by two years, that might not have actually happened. So, hmm. yeah. so it opened up other doors. Yeah, it really that's, did. that's really neat. Were you learning the language in those two years? I was not really. I was kind of doing a little bit with Rosetta Stone online. So I have at least some familiarity with the Thai language, but I wasn't working too hard on um, learning to speak because I wanted to learn to speak by natural acquisition. Mm. And unfortunately, sometimes when you try to self-teach, you you don't learn it right. Mm-hmm. And I'm a big fan of just being immersed in a language in order to learn it most fluently and naturally. So. So how long do you think it took you of your eight and a half years in Thailand to really grasp the language? (laughs) Good question. I'm still not a great reader or writer. It's a very difficult language to read and write. And it's, it's hard to say. I would say within the first six months, I was really good at understanding it. And people said that I had really good pronunciation, which is important. And so probably by the first year and a half, I was pretty comfortable with most things still had a hard time when it came to big theological conversations, because when people speak about the Bible in Thai, they use a high language, right? Mm -hmm. And so it's not the normal conversational language that you would use when you're just talking to a friend. You like change the words, even pronouns become really, really hard to say. And so sometimes it was difficult for me to like talk in the high language and I loved that. I loved the fact that they they had a different language because it was a sign of respect. Like we're talking about something we really admire and respect. But I also would sometimes know words that my Thai students didn't know because they didn't grow up in the church. And so I would have a word that I picked up, you know, at Thai church and I'd say it to them and like, what does that mean? And I'm like, you don't know that word, but it's the same, you know how it is in, you know, uh-huh. we have our Christianese in America and right. you, say, you say that to somebody who's not familiar with Christian language. And so anyway, would you yeah. equate that to like, you know, King James English as opposed to yeah, I would, conversation? I would say, yeah. Kind of, kind of like that. People might know what those words mean, but it just, it feels strange to say it, or you might read it, but you wouldn't necessarily discuss it. So, yeah. So Bangkok, Thailand, what was that like? I mean, as a city, how do you compare that to any city, you know, in the United States, uh, the culture, is it, is it as much of a melting pot, like, like oh, many of our cities? Tell me it about that. really is a melting pot for sure. It is a huge city. And when I say huge, I'm not just talking about population. I'm talking about how big it is and just how you can drive for so long and still be in the city. And I loved that. I loved the fact that there were people all over the place, even though it was weird. I loved the juxtaposition of having incredibly wealthy people living in these penthouse sky rises. And right around the corner, there's a slum. Mm. And one of the the Thai ladies at my church, she worked in a pretty nice job. And so when she would go to lunch, she would go to this food court, these restaurants, and she would go get food. It was great. She said, one day God told her to take a different way. Like, instead of going straight, I want you to turn. And she turned and like within a block, she's in the middle of a slum. She had no idea. There's this massive slum that is right next to her. And so she began to take that route every day and to get to know people along that route. So her lunch break then was ministering to people in the slum. So I just, I love being in a place where you can just connect with so much culture and so much personality and so many different types of people. Wow. Yeah. Just you said a lot of good stuff there, and it's like, boy, I'd love to go down some other paths. But we've got we've got more to discuss here before I let you go. Okay, so you were in Thailand for eight and a half years. What brought that to a close, and how did you take your next step? Interesting. Yeah, that's a good question. So I actually worked with CMF International as a campus minister for seven years, and that was 
wonderful. It was such a good place to be. I love working with college students. They have so much passion. Their whole life is before them. They're making really important decisions and they don't even realize how important those decisions are. Mm. And there's just that foundational period that I was talking about, you know, what we had at Johnson. So creating kind of a bubble for them to be able to experience life, but also helping them to kind of step outside that. So I loved being in campus ministry, but I'm going to say there was always a part of me that wanted to do art more, Mm. right? That, that passion that I'd had even as a child and then continued to develop as I got older for painting and for art and knowing that this was not just, not just a talent, not just a hobby, but this was a way I was going to minister to the the world. This is how God wanted to speak in and through me, was my stories, both written, verbal, and, you know, illustrated. And I just, I was able to do that a little bit in campus ministry, but not as much as I felt like God wanted me to do. Mm. And so I took a leap of faith and I said, I'm going to step out of campus ministry and I'm going to be an international artist. I'm going to pursue art full-time as my form of mission. I'm going to paint the stories that God has given to me. I'm going to sell the paintings if I need to. I'm going to teach art, and I'm going to use this as the primary vehicle um, that I'm going to minister with. And that was a really big challenge. It's a huge challenge because, I mean, we all have that, you know, starving artist idea in our head. And let me tell you, it is not easy (laughs) because it's not just about, you know, creating the picture. You also have to sell the picture, right? Uh And that's where I come into my greatest challenges. My greatest strength, which is my art, is right next to one of my biggest um, challenges, my biggest weaknesses, which is I guess my organizational or administrative skills, right? I'm not good at being an entrepreneur. Mm. And so here I have a perfect opportunity to be who God wants me to be. And yet it also will require me to acknowledge one of my greatest weaknesses and to work through that and to let him take that. I'm not just let him take my strength, but also let him take my weakness. And so selling my art, pricing my art, doing all of that, was a really difficult thing, but I was totally blessed. God continually found ways to keep me steady financially. I would give away paintings sometimes. I just feel like I know that God wants me to give this painting away and I would give it away. And I'm like that, you know, that's a lot of time and a lot of money like that just went out the door. And like the next day in church, I would have an envelope just handed to me with a hundred bucks in it. And I would be like, what is, where, where did this come from? Why is it here? And I can only say it was God. God knew that I needed, (laughs) I needed a little encouragement because I'm not good with money. I'm I'm not good with budgets. Right. I don't know how I've survived this long. So yeah, he just, he just knew. And I just continued to step out on faith and like, God, if you show me where these things need to go, then I'll give them away. I'll give everything away if that's what you want. But you're going to have to, you know, you're going to have to provide for my rent this month. Mm. So, and he always did. Always did. Mm. Wow. Yeah. So what was the next step? You you left Thailand, came to I left US. Thailand. And that was an interesting thing. There's a whole story in that. In fact, that's a whole book I'm currently writing. When I went back to Thailand after I had left campus ministry, I was on my way back to be an artist. I was returning in the middle of a coup. The country had a curfew going on and there was military takeover of um, Thailand. So I was, I had never been more stressed out about traveling in my life. I get on an airplane. I am stressed. I don't know where I'm going to be living because I don't have a place lined up. I don't know how I'm going to be making money. I just know I'm supposed to be on this plane. And when I get onto the plane, I sit down next to this six foot four soldier boy who absolutely steals my heart (laughs) and don't know how that happened. Because as I'd said before, when I was at Johnson, it was like missions, God's way. And I had pretty much told God, look, I'm, I will get married if that's what you want. That's not what I'm pursuing. I'm pursuing you. So if mm-hmm. you have somebody in mind for me, you're pretty much just going to have to throw him into my path. And he literally threw him like right into the seat next to me. <laughs> so on the flight from Japan to, to Thailand, it's like 
six and a half, seven hours. And we ended up talking and just kind of everything connected. So I met this guy and he's in the military, which is totally a very, I mean, that's a kind of a weird job, right? He doesn't know where he's going to be going. He doesn't get to be in charge of his life. Um, he, had, he just has to go where he's told to go, like to the middle of a coup if he has to. Um, so we were dating for about a year and a half. And I just kind of said to God, it would be, you know, a lot easier for us to see each other if I'm able to be in America when he comes home on a furlough or whatever. It's really going to be hard for us to see each other if I'm still here in Thailand. And just believing that this is the relationship that God put into my life, I was like, well, I'll move back to the States. And that's when I began my missions to, you know, West Virginia, Knoxville, Tennessee, and Asheville, North Carolina. <laughs> you know, so yeah. And a whole whole other mission field opened up and a whole lot more opportunities for art opened up as well. So right. Yeah. So did did you get married? Not yet. <laughs> he is still he's still out there somewhere. He's in special forces and we don't get to connect very often. Mm. And yeah, it's like I said, there's a whole book being written about that because it is something that I've used. I've talked with a lot of young women about just like how to be content in the middle of, not in the middle of singleness necessarily, but just in the middle of your story, wherever you are at in your story. Mm, contentment's such a gift. Yeah. And it's, it's so important for every person. And I think single women have to deal with it in a very different way than perhaps a married woman. And because I understand this perspective, I don't understand what it's like to be married. I try to, I try to imagine it, but I don't. So because this is my perspective, I want to be able to share it with people who might be in a similar situation. Um, but I've had so many people say, as I've told the story, like, oh, that's so interesting. You should write a book about it. And I'm like, well, I, I am. <laughs> so, yeah. Okay. So do you have any books published already or are you just working on um, these ones right now? I have a lot of books in my head. I love writing children's literature. So I got lots of little stories with half finished illustrations so yeah, maybe at some point that'll happen. Again, I really believe that who I am is to be a storyteller through art and through words. And so storytelling has always been an important thing for me. So at some point, maybe those books will get published and maybe they won't. Maybe I write one book so that one person can read it. And that, if that's why I wrote it, that's fine with me. Yeah. <laughs> that's great. Uh, you, you know that this year is the, the whole emphasis uh, Johnson is on the story, right? The, yeah, that's so exciting. I just, I think that's, I think every person is a storyteller and I think exactly. we tell our story in different ways. And unfortunately we get so caught up in the idea that a story has to be, you know, art with a capital A and it doesn't, you know, it can be washing the dishes. It can be fixing a car. It can be baking bread. And that's really important that we live our story because we're actually telling his. Yes. So, yes. Yeah. Good. Okay, so I want to make sure we allow time for a little bit of discussion on your art and the things that you're doing with that art in order to promote kind of other work around the world. So talk to me about what you're doing with your art right now. Yeah, so as I said, budgeting and finances is not something that I'm particularly good with. I actually had a discussion with one of the people at CMF who um, I worked with while I was in Thailand, and he was just asking me about you know, what I'm doing as far as tithing and, and giving. And I was like, not, I'm not as disciplined about that as I should be. And I realized I was allowing my weakness to become an excuse mm. for not giving as much as I could be giving. And I started thinking, well, how can I give from my strengths? Right. I'm afraid of giving from my weakness. And maybe that's an area that God needs to work with me on. Absolutely. But I can't make an excuse about not giving from my strength. So what is my strength? And I was like, art absolutely is my strength. And I've been doing this all along, you know, trying to, to use my art as much as possible to fund causes. But I committed this year to making paintings that are simply for charitable donations, whether it's mm. turning them into prints and selling the prints, um, cards, calendars, even creating originals, potentially even commissions, which is something I don't love doing. But I was like, I could auction a commission and or auction a mural or something because I really want to use my art in a way that will impact the world. 
And so creating a piece of art that brings awareness to a specific issue and then giving the funds to a group or a community, um, a charity that's actually helping that specific work. And the first one I started with was Myanmar. I have some friends who have relatives and family in, in Burma and up in the northern part of Thailand, there are a lot of refugees up there who have who have had to flee their country. They've had to flee their homeland mm-hmm. and they don't have anything. I mean, when you're a refugee, you you carry what you can on your back and that's it. And so you you end up in a foreign place and that's a scary thing. You don't know if you'll ever be able to go back and you're not sure what forward looks like. Mm-hmm. You know, I made a piece um, for a, a refugee thing a few years ago that was called the Cardboard City and it was made entirely out of cardboard. And I was like, that's what they do. They create a whole new life out of what's in their hand. Right. And if cardboard is what they have to make their home out of, that's what they have to make their home out of. And so I made a piece just out of cut cardboard. And so the piece that I made for Myanmar is shows the three fingers salute and there's some blood dripping from the palm. But from the blood, there's actually a flower that's blooming just to represent the symbol that they use, as well as the sacrifice that they've made. And so I'm selling prints for raising awareness um, for that, but I hope to be able to do more pieces as well um, for other causes and, you know, groups that I believe in. Actually, I was thinking about doing something for Johnson and I was like, eh, I can't raise a lot of money. I mean, it's a huge place. They, they need like thousands of dollars. And then I thought about all those little ladies who wrote checks, $5 checks every month for Johnson. And I was like, if I sell one painting, one tiny print and I give that money, that's, that's where the money's getting. So. (laughs) So cool. You mentioned Myanmar. Are you, you're doing something for Ukraine as well. Is that right? Yeah. I would like to do something for Ukraine, especially because like I said, I did my internship there. And so at some point I will probably be doing something, probably a couple of paintings that will actually be sold, not just prints. Mm -hmm. Um, But if there's enough interest, I might sell prints as well. So. So if somebody is interested in getting a hold of one of these prints and supporting the causes that you're supporting with these, what do they need to do? Um, There's a couple of ways you can do it. Probably the easiest one is to follow me on Facebook. That's where I'm at most of the time, Facebook and Instagram. Um, You can just find me with Michael Ruth Penwell. And that Michael is spelled like Michal in the Bible, King David's first wife, M-I-C-H-A-L, and then R-U-T-H. And you can also go to michaelruth.com and you can find all of my past work, some of my present work, and also find purchase prints there as well. Cool. So reach out to me, send me an email again, michaelruth at gmail.com. It's a pretty easy name to remember. <laughs> Not a lot of takers on, you know, those domains and email addresses. So, <laughs> uh, Especially if you get that McCall right. So That's right. Well, and I mean, Googling, you can actually Google Michael Ruth Penwell and I, I pop up pretty quick. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, Michael Ruth, this has been fun. I've really appreciated getting to know you and your journey and just all the experiences that God has given you and your passion for for missions and for art. It's, it's been just really cool to get to know you. I can't let you go though, without asking you two more questions that I've been asking of all of our podcast guests. So first question is over the course of your journey, what is something that you have learned that you would really wish to pass on to other people? Mm. I'm going to say I think it's really important for people to understand who they are. I talked a little bit about my strength and my weakness and learning to give from your strength, but also learning to give from your weakness. So understanding who you are can help direct your future and make your present so much more powerful and also help you understand your past. A while ago, I came up with, I guess, a theme for my life or a life phrase It's love God, inspire others, live creatively. And by coming up with that, I was able to see what it is that I do. And whether that's, I'm currently working a part-time job at Planet Fitness. And that is not where I thought I would be. And yet when I looked at that, love God, inspire others, live creatively, it aligned so well. And so every decision we make, whether it's, you know, am I going to do the dishes today? And how am I going to do the dishes today, right? 
Or am I going to work at the gym? Am I going to teach the kids at church? Whatever we're doing, just to find a way to use who, like who God has made us to be. I think it's so important for us to know who we are in order to be able to bless the world in the way that he wants us to. Mm -hmm. Good. Wow. Okay. Last question I'm going to ask you and then do a commercial to give you just a little bit of time to think about it. Imagine, if you will, that for the next 60 seconds, the entire world is listening to the podcast. Michael Ruth Penwell has 60 seconds to say something to the whole world. What is she going to say in her 60 seconds? While you think about your answer, let me remind our listeners that the Sojourner podcast has been brought to you by the Alumni Association at Johnson University. Whether you graduated from Central Florida Bible College, Johnson Bible College, Florida Christian College, or Johnson University, you are a part of the alumni family. Join the Alumni Association and help encourage and equip alumni and students as they pursue kingdom-focused vocations. Learn more at johnsonu.edu forward slash alumni. So Michael Ruth Penwell, a 2004 graduate of Johnson University, Tennessee, an eight-and-a-half-year missionary currently working in Nashville, North Carolina, and doing some great things with art and uh, helping people in need around the world. What one-minute message would you give to the world? I would say you have a story to tell, and I have a story to tell, and it's bigger than me, and it's bigger than you. It's connected to the story that God wants to tell. Don't be afraid to tell it. Don't be afraid to make a few mistakes along the way because stories are more interesting when they have a few bumps in the road. They create conflict tension that actually can create a beautiful ending. So don't be afraid to tell your story. Mm. Good, good, concise and challenging. Thank you so much for that, Michael Ruth. It's been a pleasure having you today. And thank you yeah. so much for being my guest on the Sojournal Podcast. Absolutely wonderful. Thank you, Tyson. The Sojournal Podcast is a production of the Alumni Relations Office at Johnson University. Edited by Sam Cunningham. Podcast graphics by Rachel Woolard. Music by Loyal Love. Tune in to other Sojourner podcasts dropping each Monday on Anchor FM, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and more. Thanks for listening.